0: I don't know about you, but in my own life, I've seen Jesus break me free from things that were obvious and things that weren't so obvious. At times in your life, some of the things, you know, like the book of Hebrews says, when it talks about us running the race, it says, let go of the weight and the sin, which so easily entangles us. Not everything that's entangling you in your life is outright sin. There are just some things that God calls you deeper and further, and he says it's time to let this go. It's time to come come further up, come further in. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He said in every house there are common everyday vessels that you can use, and you don't care if they get scratched, you don't care if they get nicked. They're just ordinary pots and pans. But he says also in a house you have really valuable vessels. He says the, the vessels that are just common. He says they're vessels of dishonor. That doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means that you're not too worried about them, that they're, they're not anything you'd be proud of. They're There's something you can use, but you can't use them for special occasions. When friends come over, you, you hide them away. That's, that's not your pretty stuff. He says, but then there's vessels of honor. He says, and a vessel of honor is gold, it's silver, it's made of precious uh, materials. And he says this, If anyone cleanses himself, cleanses himself, if anybody will will let God continue his sanctifying work in your life, if anybody will say, God, I am not content being like everybody else, I want to go further with you, then they will be a vessel of honor, useful to the master for every good work. Now, what that tells me is that God may have a call on your life that you never see until you decide, I want to be a vessel of honor. You they might have giftings in your life. You might have purposes that God's laid out for you that you never walk into. Because you just say, well, I'm just, i I'm okay just being a common, everyday vessel. And, and I'm, I'm done. I think God's done his work in me. I'm no longer doing this. I'm no longer doing that. I, thank God I'm off of this. And now I'm I'm, I'm in church every Sunday, and I go to home group or life groups in the middle of the week. I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm done. And God says, I can use you, but I can't use you for everything I want to use you for. You ever considered that? Or do you blame God that he hasn't put you in the right positions? That God hadn't opened the right doors for you? Have you ever considered that there are certain things that God wants you to do that you need to be a vessel of honor? And you might, so what Paul's saying to Timothy is, this is not for everybody. And it's not God who's picking who it's for and who it's not. He says, if any person, if any person, any, means we're all qualified, means as far as God is concerned, he wants us all in on it. But you got to decide, I want to go further. I want to go further. And so when we're talking about chains falling off your life, we're talking about prison doors breaking loose. You know, I consider that story... True story, as Paul and Silas are in Thessalonica, or sorry, in Philippi, and they cast out a, an evil spirit out of a, a servant girl who had been enslaved and forced to tell people's fortunes, to uh, been enslaved with this spirit of divination, which uh, was something in their culture at the time. And uh, when this when this girl is set free from this demonic force, she can't pull the tricks anymore that she used to pull. She can't make any money for her employers but she's free, isn't that awesome, and those guys that are making money off of her, don't care a lick about her, they don't care who she is, they don't care what what she feels, they don't care anything about her, she's just being used, and so they're very angry when she's free, they don't care she's free, they're mad that she lost her gift, and so they throw Paul and Silas in prison, illegally, we find out later. But as Paul and Silas are in prison, the Bible tells us at midnight, they're praising the Lord. They're just praising the Lord. That's what they do. And I said this to you before, but I'll say it again. It's probably not. Uh, remember, they, they, they don't know that chains are going to fall off of them. Right. There's not a promise in the scripture that says every time you praise the Lord, chains fall off. This has never happened before. And they've been in prison before. And so they don't know what's going to happen. They all, all they know is God's worthy of praise. Let's praise the Lord. And they probably know now's the time I need to praise the Lord because I'm feeling pretty ticked off right now. My back hurts. Uh, I know that I'm. A, Paul might be thinking I'm a Roman citizen. They, they whipped me, beat me, put me in prison without a trial. I've been wronged. I've been ripped off. I have been set up. And all we try to do is help somebody. No good deed comes goes unpunished. All we try to do is help a little girl, and here we are in prison. That's the time that you have to choose to praise the Lord. And As they praise the Lord, what happens? An earthquake comes. An earthquake comes, and we know in the story, the chains fall off their hands, it falls off their feet. The prison door snaps open. And they're set free from the thing that was keeping them in place. And yet, when you think of that story... We think as soon as the earthquake starts, everybody goes, yes, freedom. But would you want to be chained up in a building that you don't know how structurally sound it is when an earthquake comes? You want to just be chained there and just hope nothing falls on your head? I bet when that earthquake first started, they weren't like, thank you, Jesus, finally an earthquake. They're probably like, what now? Are you kidding me? (laughs) This too? Oh, man. Only later did they see it was to their own deliverance. And I just want to propose to you that the very things that are going to set you free in your life might be kind of earth-shaking for you. That Sometimes the, things we, the habits we've been stuck in, the patterns we've been stuck in, the cycles we keep repeating, it might take more than a gentle nudge to knock you out of that. Something might have to shake you violently from your bondage. And deliver you suddenly into God's freedom. And that is that place where you say, Lord, I refuse to be derailed when I'm uncomfortable. I refuse to be, uh, I refuse to be offended at you or whoever you used to shake me free. Because God's going to use people to shake you loose. God's going to use words to shake you loose. And I will tell you this. This is what I believe. Your freedom... Is on the other side of your comfort. It's on. It's, it's on the. It goes past your comfort, past your discomfort. It's on the other side of your discomfort. It's on the other side of your offense. It's on the other side of you being saying, "I can't believe someone would say that to me," or "I can't believe that God would poke me in this area." That if you want to be comfortable, you'll stay in prison for the rest of your life. But if you, hi, I know you. <laughs> What's up? Okay. He loves me. It's okay. Yeah. No, as you're speaking, I saw this candle, and uh, the flame at the top was the light, and uh, the wick was kind of like what we were holding on to, and we're surrounded by this hard wax. But as we're, like, trapped in this prison, but we've got Jesus as our light, we're keeping our focus on him. He's got us. As that light is burning bright in our lives, it is, it is the warmth of his love that is warming that candle wax, and it is melting off, and it is freeing us, and I just want to interject that. Right on. Praise God. Well, praise God for that wax just burning, setting us free, that light. So when you encounter that light, what happens? You can either squint and go, who turned the light on? Right? Is it offensive to you when you're in a dark room, you're nice and comfy, someone wakes you up in the morning, turns the light on? Is that offensive? Could be. It was offensive this morning when my alarm went off. I had one of those nights, I was really tired in the evening and I dozed off. Anytime I doze off early in the evening, it's tough for me to sleep because my whole system just gets reset. And so, I, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you look at your phone and go, if I go to sleep now, I have eight hours. Then you go a minute past eight hours and you go, well, if I go to sleep in 59 minutes, I have seven hours. <laughs> and then you're going six hours, five hours, four hours. You see it counting down and you just want to sleep. And so when the alarm goes off this morning, it's shaking, it's alarming, it's it's not comfortable, my bed is comfortable. I remember my dad saying, you know, it was when alarms started to get more sophisticated. My dad had an alarm. I still remember exactly what it sounds like. Mom, you still remember exactly what it sounds like, I'm sure, because <laughs> it sure woke you up in the morning. But dad had an alarm that we used when I, when I was a kid camping with him in the tent, we used it to scare a skunk away. It was revolting to every species. All all creatures great and small hated that sound. And So we had a a conversation. I remember somebody saying, you know, they make these alarms that kind of wake you up peacefully and they they sound nice. And dad said, I want an alarm that makes me mad. I want an alarm that aggravates me. So I just, I wake up in the morning. I don't want something that will lull me back to sleep. Now, to each their own. I know some of you, you don't want to wake up like Snow White or whatever, but... For him, he wanted something annoying, something aggravating, something that would shake him out of his slumber. God wants to shake you out of your slumber. He wants to shake you out of bondage. He wants to shake you into freedom. And so I just want to put this out to you that that if you've been a believer for a long time, and you've been in some of the same cycles for a long time, it might not be the same things that you just have had every week that'll set you free it might be that God has to bring you a shaking or say a word to you that you don't particularly find comforting at first because he loves you enough to shake you free from it. He wants to break you out of your cycle. He wants to break you out of your rut. He wants to push you out of the ditch that you've been in. So I want you to see something with me. and We've talked about this passage before. In fact, I think we did a series on it a couple years ago, a few years ago. But in John chapter 6, so just pardon me as I repeat myself because that's what preachers do. That's what pastors do because they say you don't believe what you hear. You believe what you hear over and over and over again. In John chapter 6, Jesus fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men in their families rather. This is a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, and he fed 4,000 men in their families. And then people said, this is a good guy to be around. He is a walking buffet. If we'll follow him, we'll get fed. In fact, they like him so much, they want to make him king. And he says, you follow me because I gave you a free lunch, right? And so then they try to spiritualize it and said, well, even Moses gave us bread. Which Moses didn't give you bread. God gave you bread. But even Moses gave us bread. So they're trying to use the scripture on because, you know, um, (laughs) Satan knows how to use scripture, right? So they're they're trying to spiritualize it. Even Moses gave us bread. And Jesus said, Let me just blow your mind for a minute here. (laughs) He didn't say that, but that's a paraphrase. (laughs) It's in the Passion Translation, John. (laughs) No, he says, Let me just tell you something. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I'm the bread. I'm the one it was me. And that that's freaking them out. They don't know what that means. So then he goes on, and, and we've said this before, but he could have easily backed off and said, Oh, I'm sorry. I think I've gone too far. You guys are a little you're you're not uh you're not with me anymore. I'm noticing the air just got sucked out of the room. Let me just change tact, let me build a bridge. But instead, he says. It says they begin to argue with one another. This is John 6:52, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because he said, I'm the bread, and I'll give you the life of the world this is my flesh. So they said, How can he give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, or Amen, Amen. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Even even knowing what Jesus is talking about, this is uncomfortable for me. Even knowing what he means, I'm like, why do you have to talk like that? (laughs) Just explain, it's a metaphor, please. Tell them about the Last Supper. Tell them what that's going to be like. We're going to have crackers. We're going to have juice. (laughs) Just make it easy. Well, he's shaking them out of their religion. You know, it's not hard to shake an unbeliever out of a life they already know is messed up. A little bit harder to shake someone out of a spirit of religion. Or a Christian that's gone so far and then said, this is as far as God wants me to go. I will go no further. This is where I'm comfortable, and I know all the scriptures that tell me I'm right to be comfortable right here, but I won't go any further. So Jesus says something to them that's shaking them, that's messing with their idea of, of what's normal, what's right, what's spiritual, and he says, this is, he says, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, I mean... Nick, don't go make this (laughs) t-shirt. Eat Jesus. (laughs) Snacking on Jesus, you know. Don't write it down. (laughs) He says, if anybody eats me. See, we're all Christians. We've all read this. It's still weird, isn't it? Sometimes Jesus has to say something you're not used to hearing. You don't want to hear. You don't like to hear. He has to speak a language that's going to jolt you out. But what's he trying to communicate to them? He's trying to communicate to the original word that man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's trying to tell them, my death, my blood, my sacrifice for you is the only way you're going to live. He said to the Pharisees, If you don't believe in me, you'll die in your sin. That's a pretty dramatic state of affairs. Friends, would you rather be comfortable and die in your sins, or would you rather have someone shock you and you be free? Right? This is what I want. I want to be free. But I want Jesus to gently make me free. I want him to whisper softly in my ear, I love you, my son. Now, here's the next thing you need to do, and I don't want anyone else to tell me because it's so much more fun when God tells me than I can take credit for it. If God uses you to tell me something, then I have to admit I didn't know it. I have to admit I didn't come to that on my own. I have to admit that God, maybe I have a a little block towards what God can say to me. But if I if I just hear it in my room well, soft music is playing and the Lord says, you know, you're my best kid. You're the best kid I've got. And I, I've just got to I've got one more thing I want to tell you. Why don't you just come a little further? And I say, you know what? Thanks, pops. I love you, too. I, I think I can do this. You know, that, that's just not usually how it happens. Yeah. God speaks to you gently. He speaks to a still small voice. But I am talking about times of deliverance in your life, times of freedom, times of being broken free of the things that have kept you in one place. Mm -hmm. And so he says to them, this is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as our fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Mm -hmm. These things he said in the synagogue. (laughs) You know, I mean, he's had some... (laughs) He's had some great sermons out in the middle of nowhere and he chooses this one to preach in his hometown church. Yeah. <laughs> they finally gave him the pulpit and he's like, "Buckle up. I'm going to I'm going to lay down some vampire analogies for you. How do you feel about cannibalism? You good?" He's never going to get invited back again. That's the last time they invite him. He doesn't care. He teaches them and he says, therefore, many of his disciples, we're not talking about multitudes here, we're not talking about Pharisees here, we're talking about his own disciples, people that have followed him, and in the Hebrew idea of disciple, this is an old idea, it didn't start with the Bible, it was an old idea in, in, in the Hebrew culture, and the Jewish culture, That you would have a rabbi, that you would devote yourselves to his teaching. You would take his yoke upon you. You'd say, how you interpret the law is how I will interpret the law. How you live is how I will live. I'm going to follow you and I'm going to learn from you. And many of his disciples, these are the ones who have left stuff to follow him. Many of his disciples, it says here, were not walking with him anymore. We're not walking with him anymore. This was what caused them to give up on Jesus. You know, it's a hard thing for a pastor to see somebody walk away. Really hard. It's hard because you love them. And you these are people you've prayed for. These are people you've labored for and fought for in your prayer and and, and loved them and spoke to them and you know them. and Sometimes you, you saw their kids get dedicated and you've seen them be baptized and you know, you buried their parents, and you have these, you, you, some, in some cases, you perform their wedding. There are, there, there's all these, like, attachments you have to people, and you love them. And it's really tough to see them walk away from Jesus. I mean, I can, let, I can understand people walking away from the church, this, this church, and going somewhere else or moving and going to the If they're plugged in, I'm, I'm happy that they're plugged in somewhere. It's when they walk away from it all together that it's heartbreaking, yeah. right. really heartbreaking. And for Jesus to see his disciples walk away and not try to run after them and say, I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to say that. I guess I was a little harsh. But how many of you might have walked away and said, just wait, give him 10 seconds, he's going to run after me. He's going to come and he's going to say, I missed you, where'd you go? But instead he lets them walk away. Now we don't know that they they stayed walking away, I tell you this, when he was resurrected, he had 500 people around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm imagining some of these guys came back. Yeah. But here's what it says. Many of his disciples withdrew, and we not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter doesn't say no, but he does say we don't have anywhere else to go. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, did I not myself choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. I mean, <laughs> they just said, like, we're with you. Everybody else left you, but we're with you. And he goes, yeah, one of you is a devil. <laughs> Live with that knowledge for a bit, okay? I mean, and, This is the reality of following Jesus. He loves you too much to leave you stuck. And whether you're stuck in in patterns of sin, or whether you're stuck in a spirit of religion, or whether you're stuck in habits and cycles that have plagued you all your Christian life, or whether you're just stuck, and it's not anything anyone else would notice, but you're not going where God wants you to go. What is the earthquake that's going to shake you loose? In this case, it's a sermon that really messed with them. Do you know, Saul didn't start persecuting the church until he heard a spirit-filled sermon that poked his heart. And from the moment that the Holy Spirit began to poke his heart, the Bible says that everybody that heard Stephen preach that message when Stephen was on trial was cut to the quick. It hit him right here. And they decided to kill him. They were so angry. We read in in Acts chapter 2 that The people that were devout, looking for God, they were pierced to the heart. And they fell on their knees and said, what must we do to be saved? So there are two reactions to a spirit-filled message. You either want to go further. God brings repentance or or a sense of, Lord, I'm with you, a surrender. Or you get angry. And I'd be lying to you this morning if I told you I've never got angry in church. Or I've I've never been bothered by a message. But the things, that, the, the, the moments and the seasons in my life where God wanted me to bring me from one place to another place, I got to tell you, God used uh, some of my fathers in the faith, some of my mentors, some of the people that I, I've allowed to speak into my life to say things to me I didn't want to hear. Yeah. Say things that to me were difficult to hear. Mm-hmm. Caused me to be uncomfortable for a while. Do yeah. you know, when I when I knew that and, and the Lord had, had said through many different ways, God was doing something, connecting Tia and I. You know, Tia and I were, had met and, 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 I mean, it was a supernatural story of how God, like, put it on our hearts and, and connected us. But even then, I didn't want to do anything about it. I just wanted to be, like, if God wants it to happen, he will catapult me into a chapel <laughs> with a preacher and rings I'll wake up and I'll be there. I don't know what I expected, but I didn't want to do anything. And, uh, and God used David McGrew to bug me all the time. He said, would you pray about it? I said, yes, I prayed about it. What would you think? I, I said, I, think, I believe this is God. Okay, so what are you going to do about it? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I'm not a creep. I'm not doing anything. He said, John, call the girl. No, I'm not doing that. Call the girl, no, I'm not. Uh, At one point, I got so aggravated with him, I texted him back some snarky remark. And do you know what he said? He's a very loving man. But he said, hmm, if I had talked that way to some of my superiors, I don't know how they'd respond. (laughs) And that was like being spanked. That was the, oh, I put my phone down and I walked away from it for a while. to this day, I've never felt like, oh, I was getting in trouble, you know, like, later when, when we were pastoring in Loon Lake, Tia and I, and we were, Tia was pregnant, and, you know, we were, we were loving the church in Loon Lake, and we were ministering and serving here at the church in Lloyd Minster, and uh, God had put it on uh, Pastor Brownie's heart, and many of the, uh, many of our uh, people had been speaking into us, and speaking to the church, that we believe it's, that God wants you to take over this church as well and begin to pastor this church. And I said, no, I don't have the bandwidth for that. I don't have the room for that. I'm not going to... No, the answer is no. The answer is no. I don't think God wants it either. And anytime somebody asks me, well, what's God said? God says no. God says no. Well, did you ask? I'm pretty sure at some point I did ask. And pretty sure he said no. I'm in the car with Tracy Harrison. Tracy said... Pastor Tracy said, um, Jonathan, you remember when when you were single and you were happy to be single for the rest of your life and God began to cause you to open your heart to just hear about your future spouse. And and it wasn't until you opened your heart that you could hear about what God had for you and, and the wife he had prepared for you. And I said, well, yeah, he said, I just want you to consider that maybe... You've been thinking God saying no over and over again because you haven't opened your heart to the idea that this might be him. And he said, I'm not asking you to say yes. I'm just asking you to open your heart to the idea. And as soon as I did that, I heard God's voice clearly that this is what we were supposed to do. And it wasn't until, you know, these conversations that made me really uncomfortable. When Pastor Tracy said that, I was frustrated Because I was like, I have heard from God. I do know. I know what God wants for my life. Will everybody just leave me alone about this? But people love me too much to leave me alone. God loves you too much to leave you alone. God loves you too much to leave you in prison. And Sometimes an earthquake comes. And I will tell you this. You will have so many chances to be offended. You'll have so many chances to be offended. Do you know how many times I've been offended at the people God used to speak in my life? Or had a chance to be offended? Because people will disappoint you. People will let you down, people will say things the wrong way. People make a, you know, people will will, 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 will fail at, at something that they didn't even know they were being tested at. And if you'll give in to offense, you'll miss out what God has for you. Jesus says this: He said to his disciples, Are you going to go away? Earlier, he said to his to all the people, the larger group, he said, does this cause you to stumble? Does this offend you? Because it says many of his. Let's go back to uh, verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Who can listen to this? Have you ever felt like, who can sit here and listen to this? I can't listen to this anymore. You ever felt that way? I can't sit here and listen to this anymore. I want to leave. I think I need to go to the bathroom. I think there's a phone call that's coming. It hasn't come yet, but it's probably coming soon. I need to get to the lobby. I need to get out of this room. I suddenly can't breathe anymore. What's happening? God's speaking to you. He's he's ministering to you. He's talking to you, but he's trying to shake you out of something. And they say, who can sit here and listen to this? And Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled to this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? Do you know what the the word here, when we see that phrase, cause you to stumble? This is also translated in our Bible as does this offend you? Does this offend you? Are you offended? Are you offended? We live in a culture that is recreationally offended. It's a sport now. It's a power dynamic. If you can be wronged, you gain some power in our society. If you can prove somebody wronged you, I've been wronged. I've been I, they, they shouldn't have said that. They shouldn't have did. Then then all of a sudden you kind of go up a few levels. And this becomes your identity. They wronged me. They did this. They said this to me. And and so we are so, you know, conditioned to be offended and to stay in a place of offense. To stay in a place of, of, of constant fight or flight. To stay in a place where we are willing to cut people out of our life at a moment's notice. And God is calling us not to the cultural way, but the kingdom way. And he's calling you to a place where you say, I refuse to be offended. I'm not gonna stumble over this. This isn't gonna come. This is what he says. This is what offense means. Does it trip you up? Does it cause you to stumble? John the Baptist got disappointed in Jesus. Remember, he was he was a guest at Herod's house, and he said the wrong thing to Herod. You know? And Herod puts him in prison. And he doesn't have any sign that he's going to get out. And he sits there, and he's just sitting alone in prison while Jesus is having a great ministry, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out evil spirits. And John has some disciples that are still with him. Now, those disciples should have been Jesus' disciples by now because some of John's disciples left him and followed Jesus. John said, I must decrease, he must increase. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the Bible says some of his disciples left him at that day and began to follow Jesus. But some stuck with him. Even past the time that he needed to have disciples, they stuck with John instead of going to Jesus. And so he's sitting there in prison. He's mad. He's disappointed. He's wondering why his cousin is not doing anything to get him out of prison. And he sends his disciples to Jesus and he says, "Uh, are you the one or should we look for another? Which is a really terrible thing to say. When you yourself said... The Lord told me that the one whom the Spirit comes and rests on and remains, he's the one. He's the one. I'm not even fit to tie his sandals. He knows Jesus is the one, but what happens? He's offended. Jesus hasn't come through for him. Jesus didn't show up for him. Jesus hadn't visited him in prison. Jesus hasn't sent some guys to bust him loose, and so he's mad. And he says, are you the one or should we wait for another? And he sends his disciples. The saddest part about that is he sends his guys to go say that. And they're the ones who are forced to say something like that to Jesus. And Jesus, instead of being offended at John, begins to praise John. But he says first to the disciples, have you seen the blind see? The lame walk? The gospel preached the poor. Have you seen this? Yes. Then he says, hey, this is what I, this is, this is what I said w- would happen when I came. I'm the guy. But then he says, you know what, John is, would you, would, everybody's kind of looking to judge John. Now it's open season on John, and Jesus defends John, and he says, would you guys go out in the wilderness to see? Would you go out to see a fancy man in the wilderness? Because that's not where you find fancy people. If you want to find someone dressed in nice clothes, go to a palace. He said, but John, he said, John, he said, there's been no greater prophet In all of the Old Covenant, uh, from, from Moses till now, there's been no greater prophet than John. But he says, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And he says, and blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. Blessed is the one who doesn't trip over me. Blessed is the one who doesn't hear what I say and gets offended and walks away. And I got good news for you. There's further for you to go. There's greater things for us to do. You just got to make up your mind right now. If you're comfortable right now, good. Now's the time to make up your mind. I will not be offended. Because Jesus said it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come it is inevitable that offenses will come. He says in the last days, it'll happen more and more often because people's love is growing cold. It's what we're seeing in the culture. People's love is growing cold, so what's happening? He says people will betray one another and they'll be offended at one another. Well, that can be in the world, but it should never be in the church. That doesn't give you license to just be offensive. I know somebody thinks that, some people think that's their brand, right? I just tell it like it is. You know what? Those glasses look stupid on you. Don't be offended at me. You can't, you can't go like that, right? You, you, you can't just go being a jerk around and, then, and put it on everybody else not to be offended. But I will tell you, every time God shifted me from one place to another, I had an opportunity to get derailed. I had an opportunity to shrink back and walk away. I had an opportunity to withdraw. I will tell you, everybody God's used in my life, there have been times where I was offended. And I had an opportunity to say, is this what I'm going to stumble over? Is this the end of this relationship? Is this the end of of what God's using to speak to me? Or will I grow up, stand up straight, act like a man, and say, thank you for being truthful with me? Or sometimes they didn't even know they were offending me. Those are the best, right? The offense that nobody even knows about. When Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, you guys remember the story. And the rich young ruler said, I have kept all the law. Everything. I have I have he says, How can I enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, Well, what about this scripture? What about this scripture? And 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 the rich young ruler says, I've done it. Since I was a kid, I've done it. I've kept every single part of the law. Now that's questionable, but Jesus doesn't question him on that. He says, Okay. One thing you lack. Can you imagine Jesus saying to you, there's just one thing you lack? Wouldn't that be wonderful to hear? Just one? I mean, if Jesus wants to tell me what I lack, what I need to work on, he's got a scroll. But if this guy, he's got one thing you're missing. Sell your possessions. Give them to the poor and then follow me. You know, he doesn't tell any of his other disciples to do that, but this guy does. Why? Because that's this guy's issue. That's what's got this guy's heart. He is gripped by greed. He is gripped by mammon. He is gripped by his own self-importance. That I am a root. That's who I am. My goodness, we don't even know his name. We just know him as the rich, young ruler. That's his identity. That's who he is. Everybody knows it. And Jesus calls him to lay down the one thing he identifies as. Boy, that's offensive, isn't it? You know, whatever, we bring our identity to Christ and we say, this is who I am. This is what makes me special. This is what makes me uh, stand out. This is is who I am. Don't mess with who I am. And Jesus says, I am absolutely going to mess with who you are. Absolutely. That's the first thing I want to mess with. You let the world tell you who you were. You let the world tell you this is your identity, this is your purpose, this is your life, this is what you're about. Absolutely, I'm going to redefine that. I'm going to tell you who you really are. I'm going to tell you what I created you to be. I'm going to tell you you're my child and I died for you to bring you back to the family. And I am not going to let you waste your life on something cheap that the world sold you. And you go, all right then. The rich young ruler didn't say yes. He, didn't, he just walked away sad. Yeah. He went away sad. Went away sad because Jesus didn't meet him where he wanted to be met. Jesus was going to bring him further. Jesus says, very hard for this kind of person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to read you something out of Hebrews 12. Can you read it with me? Verse 7. Well, actually, verse 5. Men and women today, you are all sons and daughters of the king. In the scripture, he'll often refer to you as as having the inheritance of sons, not because he's leaving the women out, but because you have equal rights in God. And in their culture, the son had rights that the, the daughters didn't have. And he wants you to know that as his child, you've got those rights. So I want you to hear this. Men and women, when you hear him say, my son, I want you to see yourself in it. He says, you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. What does it mean to faint? I mean, in most of the New Testament, when he talks about us fainting, it's us giving up, quitting, drawing back. Letting loose. Don't faint when you're reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And He scourges every son whom He receives. Well, how does He discipline you? Right? Is He disciplining you with a broken arm? No. How did He discipline His disciples? With His word. If you want to know how God disciplines, the root word of discipline is disciple. And if you want to know how God disciplines you, look at how Jesus handled his disciples. Yeah. And remember, we just read a story where many of them walked away. Yeah. They couldn't handle it. And so he says, he disciplines the ones he loves. He scourges the ones he receives. Listen to that. He receives. Yeah. To be received means you are accepted in the beloved. You are part of God's family. And this is hitting at the heart Of why so many of us faint when we're reproved. Because the world has taught us that correction equals rejection. We have adopted the spirit of the world rather than the spirit which is from God. The spirit which is from God cries out, Abba, Father. It is a spirit of adoption that says you're a child of God. But the spirit of the world teaches you how to be an orphan. How to look out for number one. How to say, if I don't stand up for me, nobody else will. But when you come into the family of God, you receive the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God says, I'm not an orphan. I'm not alone. I'm not abandoned. I'm not inches from being kicked out on the street. I am a child of God, and that is not going to change. And when you know He has received you, you'll receive His correction. It's Very difficult to correct somebody isn't confident in their relationship if our relationship is shaky that's a very thin bridge for me to drive that truck over if our relationship is shaky you're not going to hear me say something if you think that I just can't stand you and oh man I wish you would just leave our church and go somewhere else if that's what you think I don't feel that about anybody here but if that's what you think if that's the lie you've believed If you, every time someone's been honest with you, if every time someone's just told you the truth, you kind of like, then what you have to know is God wants to deal with that rejection that's in you and heal it and show you that you are a child of God. And I'm telling you from experience, my own experience, it'll set you free. And he says, if you're disciplined by me, then you know I love you. In the, in the Proverbs it says the one he, or Psalms rather, it says the, the one he delights in. Yeah. I was at a, I remember being at a Bible study in Loon Lake, and I went around the circle and said, How many of you believe that God delights in you? And nobody raised their hand. Nobody in the Bible study raised their hand because that just sounded a little too arrogant. It's, it's okay for us to admit God loves us, but to admit God just delights in us. But that's what the Bible says. That's the truth. Yeah. And if you would buy into his truth, if you would believe what God says, then you would say, this is proof. It says he disciplines. He, he will correct the ones he delights in. Yeah. Then you go, this is proof he loves me because if he didn't love me, he just let me run into the street and get hit by a car. Yeah. If you don't love your kids, don't correct them. Yeah. Right. If you don't care about their life, if you don't care if they end up in prison, if you don't care if they end up on the streets, yeah, don't correct them. Yeah. Let them do whatever they want. But love doesn't say, honey, do you want to play in the street? Okay, baby, if you want to play in the street, who am I to tell you you're wrong? Because children are born automatically right about everything. <laughs> right? Trust the children. What do you want to drink? Okay, you, you want to drink that bleach? Okay, baby, I know. I trust your opinion. I trust your... No, you teach your kids. You train your children. You tell them, no, that's a bad idea. You are not actually a puppy. Yeah. You know, it's cute that you play puppy, but you need to know you're a human child. So at some point, stop eating the dog food. Come on. Yeah. Somebody's got to train the kids. Somebody's got to tell them the way they should go. Yeah. I mean, this is not, I, this, if we had said this 20 years ago, this wouldn't be controversial. But now, right. Right. Yeah. now that's a controversial thing. So I, I, I can't, I got I to gotta recognize the world system around me mm-hmm. and say, I refuse to be conformed to that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Yeah. It is for discipline that you endure. So it's God's discipline that's keeping you going. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which we've all become partakers then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So he says, if you're never hearing God correct you, you're not one of his kids. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. Now, even when you hear that word discipline us, do, some, do we cringe a little bit? Right? The root word of discipline is disciple. A job of a father is to train up that child. Job of a mother. These are these are the parents job is to bring that kid up in the correction in the way of the Lord. And so that's not abuse. God is not condoning abuse. He's not condoning you acting out of anger. He's not condoning you taking out your frustration on your kid. In fact, the scripture says if you act that way towards your, your wife, if you act that way towards your children, he says, don't expect that your prayers are even being answered. We're to echo God. We're to copy his example. So God's not abusive. He's not an abuser. What he is is a loving father. And it says, if we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them, shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we might share his holiness all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Do you hear that? All discipline in the moment doesn't feel joyful. All. I mean, that's, that's pretty big, isn't it? He's saying like every, there's, there's never a time when God's going to discipline you that you're going to immediately feel, Ah, that feels great. <laughs> I felt like I just got a hug from heaven. No, he says, it doesn't feel good in the moment. Doesn't feel good. Well, okay, let's just examine that for a second. We don't have much time left. Let's examine that for a second. Why doesn't it feel good? Why doesn't it feel good? It is hitting your flesh, it is hitting against the thing that has led you around all your life. And it offends your mind, it offends your flesh but your spirit loves it. So the reason it doesn't feel good when God speaks to you in a way that's going to set you free is your flesh will fight it. Your flesh doesn't want to be free because your flesh wants to control you. I want to be led by my instincts. I want to be led by my cravings. I want to be led by what I feel like. But instead, God is saying there is a higher place for you to go. Will you be free? Yes, Yes, I'll be free. So if we're just looking for preaching that makes us feel good or, you know, every time I open my Bible, I just feel honey drops and rainbows. Well, praise the Lord. It should comfort you. It should encourage you. It should bring you joy. I do delight in the word, but I just want you to know there are going to be seasons in your life where the Father is going to love you enough to say, I'm not content with you staying right where you are. Would you be free? And it's at that point, something's going to feel bad about it. Something's going to feel weird. And you just have to know, my spirit likes this, but my flesh doesn't. Who do I want to please? My spirit wants this. My my mind is fighting it. Here's what he says. It It doesn't feel good in the moment, but sorrowful. Yet to those who've been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness peaceful fruit. So in that moment where you feel like you're being offended, where Jesus is saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood, or he's telling you it's time to lay this down, or it's telling you I want you to go further, or he's telling you I want you to forgive this person, or he's telling you I want you to receive that, that, that brother or sister in love and you don't want to, it's in that moment that you say, I'm going to let God train me. I'm going to let him work on me. And it feels troubling at the time, but it yields peaceful fruit. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. See to it that nobody falls short of what God's doing, of God's grace. And that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. And that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place to repentance, though he sought for it with tears. You know, I'm only preaching this message today because I I am filled with confidence that there is a higher place for many of us to go. Amen. And when you believe that, you know, been around long enough to know the plans of the enemy. Yeah. And I know he's taken many people out because of offense. Mm-hmm. And he's taken many people out because the earthquake was uncomfortable. But I won't tell you if you'll listen, if you'll let God speak to you through other people, through his word, by his spirit. If you'll let God speak to you in a way that you haven't let him speak to you before. Like Pastor Tracy said to me, have you opened your heart to be able to hear this? But remember what the disciples said, who can hear this? Who can sit here and hear this? Well, your answer should be, I can. I can sit here and hear this because I'm not a Orphan, I'm not a reject. I'm not, I'm not somebody. Now I'm not saying orphan's a reject. I want you to say I'm not a spiritual orphan. I'm not somebody that that doesn't have a father. I'm not somebody that, that's been rejected by God. I am someone that's been accepted into the beloved. I've been accepted into his family. So I refuse to back off and say, you know what? I quit. I'm done. And if everybody in the room would be honest, because maybe you're sitting here going, Somebody told them about me. But I just want to tell you, no, 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 you're not that special. Everybody in the room has had this opportunity. Everybody in the room has had these instances where we could have been offended. Or we were. And we ha- it, took, it took us off track for a while. Can you think back to the moments in your life that you got knocked off track because you let offense come into your own heart? And maybe you framed it in your story. You, when you tell your story to yourself, you don't say, I let offense come in. You say, somebody offended me. Because right. we put it on them. Yeah. And maybe it was their fault. But you don't have to be offended. Right. You don't have to stumble over this. You don't have to let this derail you. And in fact, let me tell you again, your freedom is on the other side of your opportunity for offense. Yeah. Your breakthrough is on the other side of your discomfort. If you really want to see a breakthrough, you have to know the most uncomfortable time in a breakthrough is when you're breaking through. Yeah. Yes. Breakthrough feels rough yeah. when you're in the middle of breaking through something. Yeah. Breakthrough is hard. It can feel traumatic in that moment where you smacked against a wall, but it's the one that keep pressing forward, the breakthrough to the other side. It's the ones that shrink back that all the story they've got to tell is that time I hit a wall with my face. But the ones that do not shrink back but press forward, they got a story of breakthrough. We didn't shrink back. We broke through. God broke through on my behalf. God broke me out of my patterns. God broke me out of my cycles. God broke me out of that thing that's held me and bound me all my life. God broke me out of, out of something that has kept me from growing in Christ. God broke me free. God set me loose God broke the chains off of me. He opened the prison. He let those things fall off of me that had entangled me and kept me from running with endurance. God set me free from the fear of people. God set me free from the offense. God set me free from being so fragile that I could never have a real relationship with anybody. God set us free. Because we're family here. Family is... Uh, Not bound together by your pastor. It's not bound together by your church admin or your your volunteers. Family is bound together by our Father and the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of peace. The unifying spirit of peace. So we're bound together in that love. Today, I just want you to commit yourself to God. I will not be derailed. And I want you to come and know, the Bible says, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Don't be ignorant of his schemes. He will try his best. He doesn't have any new tricks. He's been trying the same tricks for thousands of years, but he doesn't have to change them because they still work. So what you got to do is say, I've seen this movie before. Not this time. Not this time. I walked away last time. I I got cold to somebody last time. Not this time. Not this time. I want you to know, if I fall, I shall arise. Amen.